This house is clean. Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of the Hyperbaric Reviews with your two hosts. They're here. It's Bread Roll and JT. <laughs> we are here indeed, everyone. Um, and what we're looking at this week, then, Bread Roll, as if it wasn't really a giveaway with what you just said and probably the thumbnail that accompanies this podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, on the uh, the off chance that people listening haven't figured it out by now, we are indeed uh, reviewing Poltergeist which is a movie that you put forward, uh, came from your good self there, JT, as it has just recently turned 40 years old, if we go by the United Kingdom uh, release date for it. Um, on, the United, uh, on the United States front, it came out on June the 4th, 1987. Um, it runs for 114 minutes. It had a budget of 10.7 million and came back with 121.7 million. So it actually made a shitload of money. It did indeed, but well, 1982, you mean, not 1987. Fucking out. I can't even speak today. 1982. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> he's, already, oh. he's, he's already got the title of the podcast wrong in a, a little outtake, which you'll never hear. Um, so I think you're having one of those evenings, Bread Roll. Yeah, yeah 1982, um, June. And when I suggested this for its 40th anniversary, I then shit the bed a bit when I thought, oh, hold on, I've got this wrong. But apparently it was September the 16th it came out over here in the UK. So we are there or thereabouts on the 40th anniversary. Now, I remember seeing this um, as a kid, another film I definitely shouldn't have watched as a kid. I don't remember how I got hold of it, whether it was a, a copy that I stole out of my dad's video drawer, whether it was on TV, but I remember it shit me up, something chronic back then. I mean, I probably was about eight or nine when I first saw this, and it's probably not suitable for someone that age. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, well, I hadn't actually seen this all the way through. Though watching it, I do remember bits and pieces, because I do remember my brother, randomly enough, uh, my older brother doesn't like horror movies he's no good with them he's a bit of a coward really but he really has a thing for like the supernatural and stuff and i remember um when i was younger him and my dad were watching this and i didn't really know what it was i just wasn't really paying attention to it um i think it was just on in the background really um so this is the first time last night i watched this in fact that i've actually sat down and watched this all the way through and a few bits were kind of coming back to me as oh i remember that but even i don't couldn't couldn't tell if it was like stuff was coming back to me or because this movie is quite iconic and it's been kind of parodied a few times and I've seen clips of it on like, you know, greatest horror movies and all that sort of stuff over the years that I couldn't remember if I was actually remembering the scenes or if I just seen them in other bits and pieces, but um, it was quite an interesting one to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I can't remember when I first saw it, but I know I was definitely quite young and it definitely left a scar on me for a few years. I mean, this is a Spielberg film, but apparently he kind of crept in towards the end of this and took a lot of the credit he was doing E.T. at the same time. Um, I think he was a bit of a twat when it came to this film. But anyway, um, and it's quite, I didn't really know if this is true or not, so I had to have another look. But two of the actresses in this film did actually tragically die quite young. You've got Dominique Dunn, who plays Dana, who's the older sort of kid of the, the sort of um, film. She died um, in November 82, so not long after this came out. Um, she was just 19 days before her 23rd birthday, and apparently her ex-boyfriend murdered her. I'm not sure how or why, but we won't go into that. And then Heather O'Rourke, who plays Carol Ann, the little kid, she died in 1988, so a few years after this, but she was only 12, and I think she had a heart attack. So, you know, two of the actresses in this film died pretty young. Yeah, I... I didn't know that um, as a fact. That's really sad to hear, actually. Um, I do know that over the years, this movie's kind of infamous for some of its controversy. Uh, controversy. I really can't speak. I've literally, I haven't had an alcoholic drink in nearly a week, and that's probably the issue. <laughs> I just can't cope. I can't speak. Um, I haven't had one for five weeks. So, yeah, we're, we're not doing too well between us, Fred. Well, maybe we need to get back on the source, mate. 
Yeah, I think I might have to. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, I, I know. Obviously, I've heard like the stories of like the the Spielberg and like Toby Hooper thing. Like Spielberg throwing his weight around. There's a lot of people who say that because he was like, again, he wasn't allowed to direct this because he was doing ET. So they got Toby Hooper in, um, and I think he was coming on set and like just throwing his weight around and really taking over the movie. That a lot of people think that he did so much. It should be really him listed as the director because obviously he didn't really give Toby chance to kind of breathe um and then obviously some other bits and pieces going on with the movie and the stuff it touches on but yeah it's definitely sad to um hear about those two actresses yeah i didn't know about dominique dunn um i i sort of had heard that heather o'rourke died but i had to sort of just double check because a lot of these things they're rumors aren't they you know about things happening but yeah quite sad really she was only 12 when she died so she would have been about five or six when she did this i mean she's really cute in this film yeah so um well, let's take a look at the old synopsis then. And um, what, fair warning ahead, as you can tell, I'm getting a bit tongue-tied tonight. So this is probably going to sound absolutely dreadful, like some kind of crappy radio edit of a rap song. But I'll do my best, I promise. <laughs> as always, it comes from Wiki. So thank you to whoever wrote this one. So, Steve and Diane Freeling live in Cuesta Verde, a California-planned community. Steve is a successful real estate developer, and Diane looks after their three children, 16-year-old Dana, eight-year-old Robbie, and five-year-old Carol Ann. Late one night, Carol Ann inexplicably um, converses with the family's television set while it displays post-broadcast static. The next night, she again fixates on the TV and a ghostly white hand emerges from the screen, followed by a violent earthquake. As the family awakens from the quake, Carol Ann eerily declares, they're here. So uh, what do you think of how this one kicks off in JT? Um, well, obviously, it opens up. We've got the uh, the national anthem playing and close-ups of the TV, um, and it's quite spooky the way they do that. Even it's just it's just weird. This film is kind of spookily filmed in places, and then you see the dog running about. Everyone's asleep, and there is just something creepy about this. It's all pretty much done in silence, and then Caroline just comes down the stairs and starts watching the TV and. Just her watching it with the static, the hairs on the back of my neck were already standing up because I knew what was coming a little bit later on. And I thought it came the first time, just actually, as the synopsis says there, the second night where obviously the hand comes out. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, I like the opening to this. It's so 80s as well, though, isn't it? That Just everything about it just oozes 80s. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that's such an iconic scene, isn't it, of her, that sort of like behind shot of her hand on the TV and the static and everything. Uh, really, really... Um, Really, really good sort of bit of cinematography there. And one thing, the first thing that caught my attention, though, because it obviously does that slow, like, obviously, 80s movie, that slow pan kind of around the house, like you say, you've got the national lamp from going. And I was thinking, that staircase is shit. Like, it comes out, it's like a diagonal of the um, the landing, and it kind of, like, wibble wobbles its way down. It's not even, like, in a straight line or anything. I'm like, what a waste of fucking flooring and space in that house. You know, you, you're losing so much space in that living room with this crappy staircase. Just really didn't like it. <laughs> I never noticed that. And the amount of times I've seen this film, although not for a long time, um, well, good spot there, bread roll. Something that probably most people would never notice. You can't say we don't go in depth on these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird, though, isn't it? Because then it cuts be before she does the whole there here thing. So before we get to the second night, it sort of cuts to almost like a comedy scene, doesn't it? The matey boy's on his bike with all the beers in his hand, and the kids like drive the remote control car into him, and he drops them all. And it's all jolly, the music's playing, there's like a pan shot of the sort of area, and it almost lulls you into full sense of security. This is going to be a happy film. 
Yeah, it is a bit weird. Like you said, that probably is what it's there for, just that false sense of security. One thing I thought, um, I felt sorry for that guy, obviously, carrying a crate of beer on that shitty little BMX and everything. He's obviously struggling. But those kids chasing with those RCs, and I was thinking, that's good range for an RC. Because I remember my remote control cars never used to go that far away from me when I played with them as a kid. They got about 10 foot away, and then they sort of went, eh. So fair play that they managed <laughs> to get them like, all the way down that street. <laughs> Particularly in the 80s. Like, you know, things weren't sort of very good back then. Um but yeah, yeah, good shout. Um, then we get older, uh, Carol Ann's budgie dies. Um, and I don't know if that's just coincidence or whether that's a sort of poltergeist starting weird things happening in the house. I'm not sure. But they're burying it and everything. And there's sort of a, she does a little cry. And I think like um, Heather O'Rourke, who plays her, I mean, for the age she was, <laughs> she looks genuinely upset when that budgie's dead. I actually thought that because I'm normally, as you know, like kids in movies tend to annoy me. Um, like there's the odd one who can act pretty well. But I thought she was pretty good throughout this whole film. And I was thinking some of the scenes that come a bit later on, I was like, that's some pretty like heavy stuff for her to kind of be acting around with all the ghosts and stuff. But we'll get there. There's one bit I thought was really fucking dodgy. And again, this comes from the 80s. It'll probably have like people protesting these days because that's what people are like. But um, the, the older daughter, Dana, isn't it? Um, mm. there's a scene around here I think that she's going to school and there's like builders out in the garden or whatever and all that kind of like whistling at her, going hey baby and all that sort of stuff one of them's Billy from Predator which I thought was pretty <laughs> random he's in it for like 10 seconds um, and they're all out there going yeah yeah and I'm thinking I know American kids go to school a bit obviously they're at school a bit longer than British kids but she can only be about 15 or 16 I think she's supposed to be and I'm like that's really fucking perverted <laughs> what is in there yeah, yeah, she's 16, isn't she? Um, yeah, it is a bit. But you see that a lot in these American films, particularly the 80s ones, where you do get all these lecce builders and sort of people like that who, yeah, like they don't seem to care how old the girls, the girls are, but there we go. Um, yeah, it's a bit sketchy. I did notice one thing about Robbie as well. I noticed this is the first time I saw it in, from ever, ever sort of time afterwards. He's got loads of Star Wars toys, but he's also got an alien poster on his bedroom wall, which I had never noticed before. Yeah, I noticed the alien poster. I thought that was really cool. And it say loads of Star Wars stuff all over the place. Um, another thing as well, like, I think it's coming up in a minute, but um, just in case it, I mean, it was in this scene, I can't remember what the exact sequence was. But like, um, there's a bit where he's got this clown at the bottom of his bed and he's obviously scared of it. And it's like, well, why the fuck have you got a dodgy clown sat in the rocking chair at the bottom of your bed if you're obviously scared of the thing? Put it in the cupboard or something. It's just there for like the whole yeah. movie. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, yeah, and his parents are, like, skinning up and smoking weed in bed while the kids are asleep. So there's some good parenting there. And that's when he sees the clown. And he chucks a blanket over it, which has got Chewie on it. I mean, there's so many different little Star Wars um, sort of nods in this film. It's unbelievable, all the figures and that he's got. Then his dad comes in, because that storm's, storm's going on. And he says, oh, I don't like the tree outside. And that's one of the bits that always used to fucking scare me, because that tree is just creepy looking, isn't it? And obviously it comes into play a little bit later on. That tree reminded me of Evil Dead, all the fucking trees and stuff coming alive and everything. But um, one thing I thought is like, yeah, one, that's that tree is freaky as fuck, and that would have scared me as a kid. But it's another thing that I see a lot in these American shows. They've got curtains, no one ever fucking closes them. So if you don't yeah. want to see the lining in this spooky-ass tree, shut your fucking curtains. But you're both there in the bedroom with this massive window, this haggard-ass tree that looks like it's going to come alive, and funny enough, it actually does. Um, just shut your fucking curtains. That's what I do. Got exactly the same thing here. Yeah, it's just like, you know, you're shit scared of this thing. At least you close the curtains, you can't see it. But there we go, he doesn't. And as you say, in the next scene, we do actually see the tree come alive. But the bit where um, Carol Ann does go downstairs and the hand comes out, although it looks a bit cartoony, again, it's just like, I knew what was coming, but the hairs on the back of my neck were just up. It's just something about it. It just gives me goosebumps. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know. 
just and then obviously the the here line is just iconic, isn't it? It is, yeah, it's really iconic. One thing I will say, um, the special effects in this were just very much Raiders of the Lost Ark was the vibe I was getting a, a lot of that yeah. sort of, I know it was that sort of same sort of time as that movie came out, but the effects and some of the ghosts reminded me of when all the things come out of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant at the end of like Raiders and stuff. So that sort of style of special effects is well in play here. Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I thought that as well. In fact, there's one bit a bit later on where I got it confused with Raiders of the Lost Ark and I thought one of them turned into a skeleton, but that was actually from Raiders and not this. Yeah. <laughs> so now bizarre events occur the following day. A glass of milk spontaneously breaks, silverware bends and furniture moves on its own. These phenomena um, initially seem benign, but soon grow more sinister. During a severe thunderstorm, the gnarled backyard tree seemingly comes alive. A large limb crashes through the children's bedroom window and grabs Robbie and attempts to devour him. While the family rushes outside to rescue Robbie, Carol Ann is sucked into a portal inside the closet. After saving Robbie from the tree, which got su uh, sucked into a tornado, the family frantically search for Carol Ann only to hear her voice on the TV. Parapsychologist Dr. Martha Lesh arrives with two um, team members to investigate. They determine there is a poltergeist intrusion involving multiple ghosts. Meanwhile, Steve learns from his boss, Mr. Teague, that the Verde development was built on a former cemetery and the graves were moved to a nearby location. Um, so there we go. I mean, this, this bit here... Um, when I was watching the start of this, I was thinking, oh, this is a bit slow and a bit mamby-pamby. And then when it kicks off, like that tree comes alive and comes smashing through the window, just fucking goes mental, doesn't it? I mean, you've got a bit downstairs with like, the chairs and all that sort of stuff. But then when it does kick off, it just goes absolutely like mental as if someone flicks a switch. Yeah, it does a bit, doesn't it? I mean, the kid's in bed, and this is, this is the bit that really freaked me out as a kid, the bit that really got me most. And he's like, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, counting in between the, the light and the thunder, which his dad's told him to do the night before. And then the tree comes through the window, and yeah, it does look a bit shit these days, but that bit just got me every time when I was a kid. I was absolutely petrified of it. Yeah. One thing I was um I was thinking while watching this again, this is not the first time I've actually watched it properly. Um, and I actually clocked probably the reason why, um, just before we started recording, I was just doing a little bit of like reading on the movie. That bit downstairs, just the way it's shot, you know, when they're like the chairs are stacking up and all that sort of stuff, and mm. then Matey boy comes home and like she puts a chair down and he gets pulled across the kitchen and then she does it with um Carol Ann and everything. It all looks nice and happy. The way that shot and the music and everything, it just reminded me a lot of um Close Encounters of the Third Kind that we reviewed obviously a while back. And actually turns out this was actually supposed to be a sequel to that, but Toby Hooper wanted to focus more on a ghost and sort of like spooky story instead of a, a kind of extraterrestrial one. So it ended up being obviously poltergeist and stuff, but that obviously just plays into the fact of Spielberg coming along because he's the one who wanted it to be a sequel to uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And obviously if he was shooting a lot of it, it's probably why that camera angle and stuff is the same. Oh, right. I didn't know that. But yeah, you're right. It has definitely got that vibe, hasn't it? Just everything about it. I mean, that as well, like, I can't remember, and Diane, isn't it, the, the wife? She's like, she's loving it. Like, things are going across the floor, and obviously she does it with bloody Carol Ann, poor girl. And I, I'd be shitting myself. I'd be out of that house. I wouldn't be cheering and clapping like she is. I'd be fucking gone. Yeah, yeah, so would I. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I've, I've always got um, an open mind about things. I do think that, you know, spirits and spectres probably do exist in some ways, or a lot of it is probably just your mind playing tricks on you and everything. But, yeah, if I started... I went downstairs and my cat was being like, I don't know, flying through the air or spinning around on the fucking kitchen floor. I'd just be like, right, I'm off. Fuck this. Call the Ghostbusters. Absolutely. I mean, they go around to their neighbours, don't they? Um, Diane and uh, 
I can't remember his fucking name. What's his name? Steve, isn't it? And they sort of say, does anything weird happen around here? If you had like furniture and that moving around by itself or anything? And he's like, no, what the fuck are you on about? You're both weird. But she's probably into it. And Steve's just like, he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not having this at all. But she's like fucking loving it. She's living the dream. This scene actually confused the shit out of me thinking about it. Because like, they go around and then obviously like, she's asking, oh, are you, you know, trying to be tactful about it? You know, has there been any sort of strange things happening? And I couldn't quite get the vibe because she's like, giggling and making all these weird things and he's there like slapping his neck because he's being attacked by mosquitoes and the guy their neighbor's just like going i don't get mosquitoes in here i've never been bit by one sir you ever been bit by a mosquito <laughs> he's not been bit by one either and i was like what the fuck is this even about i don't have any idea what's happening right now yeah it's a bit strange isn't it yeah i know what you mean it's just sort of a little scene that's shoved in there for no real reason i mean we see the neighbor a couple of times we've already seen him and steve and him don't really get on then we see him again sort of right at the end um yeah, it's a strange scene, I have to say. Um, but, I mean, talking to the special effects, we said the tree doesn't look very good. You see sort of a shot of the tornado coming in as well. That looks pretty ropey, doesn't it? That tornado looks fucking dreadful. That reminds me, and there's a scene just before that when the storm is rolling in during the day, because we see Robbie actually climbing the tree in the daylight, don't we? Yeah. And, like, the clouds are rolling in, and that reminds me of the bloody nothing from their running story. I don't know if you remember that, but that was all fucking sketchy with some of the effects in that back in the day. Um, but, yeah, and then, obviously, like, the tree... It's pretty brutal, actually. Um, the way it kind of grabs him, it's like trying to eat him, even for practical effects. And they do look a bit mm. pretty um, full on in the way. And then obviously, what's the name? Carol Ann's upstairs and the door's opening and she's like being sucked in. And you, <laughs> it's making me laugh because she's kind of like holding onto her bed and like obviously her legs are up in the air because she's being pulled along. And there's bits where it cuts and you're like, well, I can tell that's a mannequin straight away. And then it cuts back <laughs> to her and it's obviously really her. And I was like, fucking hell, playing it yeah. here. <laughs> It is. You see sort of just her feet, don't you, sort of bobbling about and it's like, just look pretty fake. Um, I mean, she's not having a great day. She gets sucked in there and then they all think she's in the swimming pool. Obviously, they're sort of looking for her throughout the house. And I think it's Diane who's like, the swimming pool, the fucking swimming pool. And they all go running down there and Steve jumps in frantically looking for her. And it's um, Robbie, isn't it, who goes up to the TV and he's the one who hears her. And again, her voice when she's like, mommy. I'm here or whatever. It's like fucking. Hell, I don't know. It's just something about it that just really gets me. And then, um, but I thought his acting there. He's like he can hardly talk, can he? He's like, mom, <laughs> mom. And I thought that was fucking genuine, really good the way he did that. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. And then the way they were doing like the sound design on this movie is really good. Like I say, the way that voice sounded like a really kind of like static echo coming around the house when she's like, mommy and stuff. Like you say, and you know that that was actually really good. I got to say, I quite like the um. Uh, the Dr. Martha who turns up, obviously we get the other doctor later on who's got like another famous line and everything. But um, these three kind of like paranormal investigators turn up and I quite like them. I thought they, you know, they arrived at just the right time in the movie because the family, obviously they've been going through this event and everything. But up until then, I hadn't really sort of gelled to any of them. I didn't find any of them particularly likable. Um, but it all starts to come together now with these sort of people come in and then they obviously start looking into it a little bit more. Yeah, there's the sketchy bit here as well, because when they're first talking to um, Martha Lesh, the doctor, Steve, it's Steve, isn't it, talking? He's like, yeah, there's three people who live there other than me. There's uh, my wife, she's 32, and then my daughter, who's like 16. I'm like, so she was only 16 when she had her. I mean, obviously, that's not illegal, but it's pretty fucking young, isn't it? And then, obviously, he says about um, Robbie and uh, Carol Ann as well. But I'm thinking, so she was 16 when she had Dana. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I didn't even put that together, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a little bit, little bit dodgy there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then when the the two other guys turn up with old uh, Doctor Lesh, and he's like, one of the guys is telling him this story about this car that took seven hours to go across the room, and it like went oh seven feet, and he's 
so happy about this and we got it all on time lapse camera. It's fucking amazing. And then Steve's like, yeah, you reckon that's cool? Look at this. And just opens the door to the kid's bedroom and it's just hell, hell's fucking breaking loose. It is. But again, we've got some ropey special effects going on here, haven't we? Like this record player coming along. I mean, it's good for its day, don't get me wrong. And you know, I love a bit of practical effects and stuff. The one bit that made me laugh, though, was like, they open the door and the first, like, there's these toys going around and the bed spinning and everything. And like, all these toys are coming up. And the first thing you see is like the Incredible Hulk riding a unicorn comes up or something. <laughs> it just sort of waves at them and then sort of like runs off and it's just loads of shit going on. Gave me a chuckle. Yeah. There's a record that's spinning around in it. Then like a fucking compass sort of lands on it and starts playing it and everything. I mean, it does look a bit ropey, but it is quite cool, everything that's going on in that room. Um, and then, I don't know if this is coming up, I think this might still be in this section here, when uh, one of the experts and the, the bit with the stake where it goes across the kitchen top counter and then the maggots are in it, and then he pulls his face apart in the mirror. I mean, the special effects are, are crap, but it is pretty brutal. Yeah, definitely is. And this guy, like, it's a bit strange, isn't he? Like, he's skinny as a rake now, but he sat there, and again, a bit of product placement. Like, you see this bag of Cheetos come up right in view of the um, camera, then he pours them into his hand and eats them, and he's like, oh, I'm just going to go and get something to eat. And he goes to the kitchen, just starts helping himself to whatever they got, and this steak, the steak's fucking massive. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a steak that big before. Um, but he pulls that out, and he's eating, like, a chicken wing. Um, but yeah, it is um, pretty brutal, that bit, when he pulls his face off, and then, like, say, all the maggots are coming out of the food. It's pretty grim. Yeah, it is. It's one of the sort of classic bits of the film that I do remember. But yeah, he's probably hacking it apart and it's all falling into the sink. I mean, you can tell he's obviously a mannequin or whatever. But yeah, it is pretty bad. And then obviously it just flashes and he looks back and he's completely normal. Yeah, and then we've got, um, just before we do move on, um, it says here in the synopsis, but I thought this bit came a bit later, but I could be wrong. Obviously, it's... um. The dad is it Steve talking to his boss and everything. He's saying, "Oh yeah, you know, you you're responsible for all this because he's taking a lot of time off work at this stage because of obviously everything that's happening." But he's talking to his boss and he's like, "Oh yeah, we're going to build all the new houses up here." And there's like this really just I don't know what it is. It's like just happens to be a cemetery, but it looks like the most superimposed, like drawn-on cemetery I think I've ever seen in my life. It's sort of like the camera turns around and it's just this like proper overly evil Stephen King looking cemetery, and it's like, "Oh yeah, this will have to be moved," as if they didn't know it was there in the first place. <laughs> I've got that here. The cemetery looks pretty fake. Yeah, it's pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, his boss, to be fair to him, he's like, oh, you've had quite a lot of time off. You've got the flu or something. He's like, yeah, I've got the flu. And then he says, um, oh, yeah, I didn't see Carol Ann when I came to the house. Oh, she's around somewhere. So Steve's being pretty casual about the whole thing. Obviously, bullshitting to his boss, though. Yeah, and that bit um, when they're talking about the cemetery, that's that I remembered, um, obviously, what why the ghosts are haunting him and attacking him and everything like that because he's like oh yeah we'll move to cemetery we've done it before and all that sort of stuff and I was like oh yeah now I remember that's why there's ghosts under the house and everything yeah and Steve's obviously not too happy about that at all is he yeah uh, so Dana and Robbie are sent away for safety um, I don't think Dana's actually sent away but never mind uh, well Dr Lesh calls in Tajina Barons a spiritual medium Tajina determines the spirits are lingering in a different sphere of consciousness and are not at rest they are attracted to Carol Ann's life force. Tangina also detects a dark presence she calls the Beast, who is restraining Carol Ann and manipulating her life force in order to prevent the other spirits from crossing over. The entrance to the other dimension is in the children's bedroom closet and exits through the living room ceiling. Diane, secured by a rope, passes through the portal, guided by another rope previously threaded through both portals. Diane retrieves Carol Ann and they drop through the ceiling and living room floor, covered in ectoplasm. As they recover from the ordeal, Tangina proclaims, this house is clean. <laughs> oh, I like that. 
I mean, it took him a while to pack old Robbie off, didn't it? I think I'd have um, probably sent the kids off a long time before now, but he does finally pack them off, and the dog as well. The dog goes with him. Yeah, I quite like the dog, actually. Yes, um, I know, obviously, you can train dogs and stuff for movies, but the way they have it kind of reacting to the ghosts and like begging and doing that sort of stuff, I thought was pretty good throughout this film. Yeah, yeah, the dog is quite cool when he sort of wanders about a few times and he does a few things. But, um, yeah, I like the dog. Um, and I've always thought um, that Tangina, whatever her name is, I've always thought she was a bit weird. And uh, obviously, that's probably the point of her. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I thought when I saw her was M. Shadows had let himself go. But um, she obviously brings... <laughs> <laughs> but she does bring a bit of comedy to the the movie, and she does obviously. She's got that like crazy kind of squeaky voice that she does and everything. But um, this is the another character that I always remember, and again, haven't watched it properly. But she's just one of those movie characters that you always remember just because some of her lines and the way she kind of looks and talks and everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. She's one of those characters that definitely sticks in the mind. I mean, she tells Steve, like, she's sort of trying to get Carol Ann to react. And she says, who's she more scared of, um, Steve or Diane? And they're both like, well, she isn't scared of either of us. And then he's, Steve's like, oh, probably me. I guess I'm the one who makes all the rules. So she kind of tells Steve to be a bit of a dick, doesn't she, to her, and trying to sort of scare her into sort of, sort of talking. And she tells her to go towards the light, which is what older Dr. Lesh, whatever her name is, has said, don't do. But she's like, go towards the light. And Diane's like, no, don't go towards the fucking light. Yeah, yeah, it is, um, it's pretty good. And one thing I think, and I've mentioned this before, like with um, films like uh, Alien and a couple of others, where like there's a bit of dialogue that is usually more foreboding and scarier than actually what's happening on screen. And some of the stuff that um, Tangina's talking about here is, I think, really good. Because actually, it makes your mind think, doesn't it? And she's like, she's there and there's this thing called the beast and he's like, he's manipulating her and he's like, he's saying stuff that only a child can hear. And there's obviously some really kind of like dark, obviously, I don't know, just like emphasis like around that and everything. And you're kind of thinking, man, this sounds like actually it's like 10 times darker than the film actually already is. I know it goes a bit weird later with some of the special effects, but just some of these dialogues and the way she's describing the situation that Carol Ann's in is just really creepy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought this bit here is a bit weird with the rope and everything. You get one of the guys, he chucks the baseball through and it comes through the ceiling and everything. He's, he's signed it as and he's like, that's my baseball, that's the one I did. And two of them come through and then they obviously um, put Diane on the rope and then they, she comes out and looks like she's covered in jelly. It's supposed to be ectoplasm according to the um, synopsis there. It just looks like they've chucked some <laughs> jelly all over her. There, there is kind of one funny line. I think it's supposed to be funny as well. When um, Tangina says, oh, she's got to go in and Diane's like, no, I should go in. And Tangina's like, well, you've never done this before. And Diane turns around to Tangina and goes, neither of you. And she's like, oh, yeah, right, you go then. I thought that's quite funny. Yeah, it's good. It's really dry the way she says it. She's like, yeah, yeah you're right, you go. And just fucking gives her the look. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was quite good. One bit that um, took me by surprise, there's not so much a jump scare or anything, is when that big fucking, or the beast, I assume it is, that big face comes out of like the closet because um, she's saying like, oh, don't, don't pull the rope just yet. You're doing it too early. And then this big fucking monster head just comes out and starts like growling at him. And I was just like, oh, but yeah, I didn't expect that. Yeah, it's kind of like a jump scare, isn't it? I've forgotten about that bit, but to, to top it all off, you've got that bit, which is like, oh, a bit creepy and everything. And you just get three different shots of Steve going, Roar, just screaming from like different <laughs> angles. And it just looks really shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they go for. Obviously, go for like an extra dramatic effect. But um, it's also weird as well because I. I assume at some point she says, "I'll oh, run some warm water or something in the in the bath so we can put them in there. And then they go in and obviously they put them in there and obviously they're covered in jelly. But someone's put fucking bubble bath in there. Like who actually took <laughs> thought to put bubble bath in? Like if you thought you were doing all these things with ghosts, bringing someone back from like the, 
the other side or something like that. The last thing I'll be worrying about is putting a bit of fucking Mr. Bubble in me fucking bathtub. <laughs> I didn't notice that, to be honest. I was too busy looking at the jelly. I didn't even notice there's bubbles in there. Yeah, I just like fucking. I said to Rachel, I was like, "Why the fuck? Who put bubble bath in there? Like, what? What be the necessity of that? You know, does that help scrub off the the jelly or ectoplasm? I don't know. <laughs> I guess it must do. Yeah, good thought. Whoever did it. <laughs> so, shortly after, the Freeling family have nearly finished packing to move out of the house. Before the family is to leave for the Holiday Inn, Steve goes to his office while Dana is on a date, leaving Diane at home with Robbie and Carol Ann. The Beast ambushes Diane and the children aiming for a second kidnapping attempt. The unseen force drives Diane to the backyard in the pouring rain, dragging her into the flooded swimming pool excavation. Skeletal corpses and coffins float up around her in the muddy hole. Diane crawls out and rushes back into the house. She rescues the children and they escape to the outside as more coffins and bodies erupt from the ground. Now I've got an issue with this bit um, because obviously they're do you think everything's obviously all done and safe? You know, Tangina's done a little line, this house is clean and they've all buggered off. Um, and then they're packing up the house and she's saying, like, um, the dad, isn't it, uh, Steve? Is it Steve? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's saying, like, oh, yeah, I've quit my job and all that sort of stuff. I'm just going into the office. I'll be home early. Then we're going to the Holiday Inn. But, like, he, like, buggers off to work then and it's daylight. The next thing you know, like, Carol Ann and um, Robbie are being tucked into bed in the, like, empty rooms. Diane's dyeing her hair and just sort of, like, having fun in the bath and everything and it seems to be late at night and their daughter's gone out for obviously a bit of a shindig um or whatever and like i thought you guys were supposed to be leaving early and coming home and it looks like it's like nine ten o'clock because it's night time it's like what do you call coming home early from work all right i didn't even put two inches together there bread roll i didn't even notice that to be honest oh yeah good shout um yeah because she she's in the bath like you say um doing what she's doing she's having a bath i guess and the kids are in bed and then that's when we see um a clown again, isn't it? He's still fucking sat on the chair. The next thing he looks around of oh, Robbie and the clown's not there and it's under his bed and it strangles him. And that's a bit I always remember as well. Yeah. And another thing, you've just packed up your house, you know, to move house, but you've left the bloody clown <laughs> of all things in the room. It just makes <laughs> makes no fucking sense to me. And I know some people are scared of clowns. I just think they're fucking stupid. But, you know, if you've got old fucking, you know, dildo the clown. Why would you leave him? I'd have packed him up straight away and shoved him in the fucking back of the van. Yeah, exactly. Um, sick of all the shit that's been going on. I mean, maybe he was going to try and leave him there and not take him with him. I don't know, but I doubt it. Um, I will say, though, the beast, it sort of attacks Diane through the door. It doesn't look too bad, the effects there. Some of the better effects in the film. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Actually. Is that a bit where it's like sat there and it's got like a kind of dog's head with long hair and then yeah. like a big lanky skeleton? Yeah, I thought that looked pretty cool, actually. Um, and some of the effects around the door because um, like the beast is kind of like sealing it with something and that kind of reminded me of Ghostbusters. Again, it's that kind of like... Mm superimposed special effects but this bit's actually quite full-on this end part of the movie because obviously i don't know what the beast is doing it looks like it's obviously trying to shag diane at one point it's like pulling her <laughs> fucking skirt up and then she goes up the wall across the ceiling reminding me of the parry they did in scary movie years ago but it's like it's pretty um pretty uh full-on this bit yeah there's always got to be a bit like that in these horror films isn't there where someone has to go up a wall i mean johnny depp does it in nightmare on elm street i believe um it just seems to be one of those things where in 80s horror films you've got to go up the wall at some point talking to diane now i will say old um steve he's punching above his weight a little bit with her but that's another story um but when she um when she goes into the swimming pool she obviously falls in there but it's almost like she purposely falls in there she goes really near it and then almost on purpose, puts her foot into it and then the mud gives way and she slides into it. It's a bit fake the way she does actually end up in there. Yeah, it's very amateur dramatics, isn't it? Yeah, I would mm. definitely clock that bit. But the bit where all the um 
like the uh, coffins were coming up and everything. I thought it was pretty cool. Very um, Indiana Jones again when I'm um, <laughs> going through that fucking thing and all the skeletons are coming out like going Wah! and everything. Um, <laughs> but um, I did quite like it. I thought um, it just kind of like really sped things up again because I kind of knew it wasn't the main ending when what's her face M Shadows had been like, oh yeah, the house is clean and goes away. I knew there was more to come, but yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you always get these false endings in these horror films, don't you? I mean, you know it's coming. Um, I will say that apparently those skeletons they're in the swimming pool with, apparently they're real skeletons. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's one of the myths of this film. Um, if they were, then fucking fair play. I mean, that's when she's screaming at that, it probably is genuine. It's the neighbour, isn't it, who comes and saves her as well, I think, the guy that she was asking about the, the stuff earlier on in the film. Yeah, yeah, it is, because she's obviously struggling to get out the... Um... Pulled, but this bit again is, is bloody stupid, it makes no sense because he kind of pulls her up and he's there with his, his missus, I suppose. And he, she's like, Oh, what's going on in there? Because they can hear like the kids screaming from the bedroom and stuff. And she's like, Oh, I need some help, I need this, that, and the other. And they just stand there, really blank faces, going, Oh, and it's like, <laughs> Surely you'd, you'd do something, wouldn't you? Be like, Oh, I'll call the police or I'll do this or something like that, or try and help them. But it just this bit seemed like no one really knew what they had to do with this particular scene, so they all just stood there looking stupid. <laughs> yeah, and then she goes upstairs, and the kids are in the bedroom. It's like a bloody great gaping fanny on the wall, doesn't it? Trying to suck them in. <laughs> she she does pretty well to pull them out as well, doesn't she? She just sort of grabs hold of them, and it, that it seems to be like pulling with great force. But then she just pulls them out, and um, it seems to be fairly easy. It's funny you should mention that about the gaping fanny because the first thing I thought reminded me of that bit in the boys where the little guy goes and that guy's a cock and then blows him up. Oh, fucking hell, here we go. <laughs> but um, yeah, again, that was really weird. And then it's a weird kind of like tentacle thing coming out trying to grab them and stuff. But yeah, like you say, she does a pretty good job, obviously, getting the kids out of the room because Robbie grabs Carol Ann's hand and they do like a really crap grip. Like, I wouldn't have been able to hold on to someone like that. No, not at all. But it seems to be the way in these sort of films we saw it in. Um... I think it's probably uh, Total Recall as well when um, they sort of just easily managed to pull themselves away from this great big force. But there we go. That's another film. Um, and then Steve turns up to absolute fucking chaos, doesn't he? It's all kicking off around and there's stuff going all ways. But his boss is just there randomly as well. Yeah, again, this is another thing that makes sense. Like, why would the boss be there? And exactly what time is he supposed to be coming home from work? It's actually part of the next synopsis. But he does like a really over-the-top bit of dialogue in a minute, which I just thought sounded absolutely dreadful. So um, I'll just read the last bit and then we can discuss it. So Steve, accompanied by Teague, his boss, arrives home to the mayhem and realises that only the gravestones were uh, relocated. The, the development was built over an abandoned bodies. The freelings jump into the car and collect Dana just as she returns home convenient they flee uh Verde as the house implodes into the portal while stunning neighbor while stunned neighbors look on the family check into a room at a holiday inn where steve promptly rips out the tv and shoves it outside so that kind of ends the movie pretty much but yeah you're right so steve comes back with his boss in tow for some reason but like he grabs his boss at one point he's like you only moved the gravestones you left the bodies you only move the gravestones the gravestones just fucking <laughs> screams at him and it's like fucking hell this is so over the top yeah he does doesn't he i jumped ahead a little bit there i forgot we had that last little bit we hadn't talked about but yeah it's random that his boss is still with him for some reason just for him to shout out i think and i mean you touched it on there dana just turns up exactly the right moment as they're driving off get in the car it's like fucking Boise and Marlene, isn't it? So she just turns up at exactly the right point. Yeah, absolutely. And um, she's made out to be a bit of, um, I don't want to say like 
a slap or anything like that. But obviously, there's a bit earlier on where she's like, oh, your dad's booked us a room in the Holiday Inn. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember that place. Like, making out that she might have been there with, like, a boyfriend or something. And it's just like, again, she turns up with, I assume, her boyfriend's driving a fancy car and everything. It's like, typical. I know it's like 80s teenagers. Um, Boys and girls get shown like that in those movies and stuff. But, yeah, it's just a bit random. Yeah, I mean, thinking about it, obviously, Carol Ann and Bo- uh, Robbie, is it Robbie? Yeah, isn't it? I've a fairly big part in this film. She doesn't really have a, a part to play. She could have quite easily not been in this film. She doesn't really do anything, does she? No, no, I was thinking that. Again, it's just, you've obviously thrown it in there just to make it look like more of a kind of a family thing. But yeah, the, hmm. Robbie and um, Carol Ann would have been, you know, fine just to have that. And it would have made sense as well, because like you pointed out, that made, um, it was Diane, wasn't it? it would have been 16 hmm. having her. So they could have just kept it, I don't know, Steven Spielberg thing, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems a bit weird that she was even in it. She doesn't really play play any part in the the film at all. Um, then the house just kind of folds up and disappears, doesn't it? Always folds up. It's a bit strange. Yeah, it's a bit strange. Like the streets, kind of having a bit of a ruckus. And there's like you can tell someone's just set up like a pyrotechnic tank down the road when it's been kind of <laughs> bit of fire shoots out. But you can literally see like the tank is sort of like firing out of a fair play. And then like this weird kind of laser starts shooting out of the window. I assume it's supposed to be kind of like spectral energy and it hits Teague, doesn't it? And I thought, oh, mm. it killed him because he's the one responsible. And then he just stands up again as if nothing happened. And I was like, oh, okay, then maybe not. Yeah, it's a bit strange that bit. I'd forgotten what happened to him. Like say that sort of lightning or laser hits him. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he just gets up, brushes himself off. And he's like, oh, okay, he's not dead then. So I don't really know what the point of that was. Um, I do always remember the end of this. I'd sort of forgotten about that whole scene. I remember the bits with the skeletons, but parts of it were a bit sketchy in my mind. But I do remember the the final, final scene where they turn up at the motel and Steve puts the TV outside. I mean, it's quite a funny moment. It kind of breaks up all the shit that's just happened. But I've always thought it'd be better as if when he puts it out, it turns itself on and the static's playing rather than it just pans out and then the titles come up. I've always thought that'd be a, a better ending. Yeah, I was actually thinking, I was expecting that to happen when I was watching it last night. I was like, oh, that's going to turn on and just be that kind mm. of little cliffhanger moment and it didn't happen. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I thought that's exactly where that kind of scene was going. Um, a bit silly not to really, but I guess maybe they wanted to put a definitive ending on it. Although I do think there are sequels to this. They're probably like sh- shitty, like straight to video sequels, but I think there are like two or three more. Yeah, there are at least two, which I think Heather O'Rourke is in both of them, Carol Ann. I haven't seen either of them as far as I can remember, um, because like you say, I think they're quite low budget. Um, But yeah, there's definitely at least two. And I think there was a reboot as well, not that long ago, in the last 10 years, which again, I haven't seen. Fair enough, I didn't even know there was a reboot. But uh, if the history of reboots is anything to go by, it's probably best avoided. Yeah, I'd expect so, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so that is um a look at poltergeist so the only thing left to do now is to give this one some scores and i believe it's my turn to go first this week i believe it is spread well and i've been thinking all weekend i watched this friday night we're now on sunday i've been thinking all weekend what you're going to score this because um kirsty really likes this film she's like you better score it fucking high i'm like oh, i don't know so let's <laughs> find out <laughs> okay right well as i say this is the first time i've actually ever watched this movie properly like start to finish and to a point where I can actually remember it. Um, so, yeah, what can I say about this one? Um, it was pretty good. Uh, as all our listeners know throughout, obviously, the movies that we've reviewed, I like practical effects. I like these older horror-style movies. Um, so although the effects are dated and some of them did look shit, they were that kind of shit that I still really kind of like. It's that childhood sort of horror that I used to watch. Um, so, yeah, I thought it's probably quite ahead of its time when it came out, so that was good. Um, the plot of it, I thought, was okay like the whole kind of you know you built a house over like um 
hallowed ground and all that stuff and the ghosts aren't happy about it it made sense and i kind of liked some of the characters that came in but the one issue i had with this was some of the stupid scenes that i've mentioned that didn't really go anywhere or didn't make sense um throughout the plot i just didn't like any of the family i couldn't really get behind them like the, the little girl um carol ann i think she did really well considering she's like a young actress and she had to play a part in a fairly adult themed movie um a bit like uh carrie ann um not carrie ann um what's her name newt from aliens a bit like she did back in the day but i just didn't find myself really liking the family or even caring about them very much and i just thought the situation they're in they weren't really reacting the way i think someone should have reacted or would have reacted in that particular situation um that being said when the movie did kick off and the stuff started happening and the ghosts were coming out and some of the eerie effects and sound effects were really really good and they caught my attention but i just found that like, the movie didn't flow particularly well for me um and I sort of woman and are about, did I enjoy this film or did I not? And I think overall I did enjoy it. And now that I own a copy, I probably will watch it again because it's probably something I need to watch again to really sort of take it all in and get the little nuances and that. But for now, I'm just going to kind of be on the fence about it and give it a three just to kind of in the middle of it. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It's just, it was okay for me last night. The bits I liked, I really liked, but there was an equal amount that I didn't like about the film. Um, so yeah, it's going to get three others from me, JT. No, good stuff, Bradwell. And yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from with some of that, actually. And I hadn't really thought about it. The family aren't particularly likable in places, are they? Apart from Carol Ann, really. And Robbie always used to wind me up um, sort of when I watched this back in the day. Not so much now, but um, yeah, he used to really piss me off. But anyway, so as I said earlier, this film properly freaked me out when I was younger. I'm not sure how old I was or how I got hold of it, but it did leave a bit of an impression on me for a while. And I was a bit scared to go to bed for a few nights after first watching this. Um, and as you said, it hasn't really aged very well. And some of the practical effects do look ropey as fuck. But that's kind of a charm, isn't it? And I do still find it quite creepy in places. And I did quite enjoy watching this again on Friday. Um, there are some genuinely scary moments. I mean, I knew what was coming. But I can see why people would be a bit freaked out by it. And Carol Ann, I thought, was was brilliant. Like you say, she's very young and is five or six. So fair play to her. And the bit where she's in the TV and you hear a voice in that coming out, it just, oh, it's creepy. Um, and it, it is quite slow in places, but in the last 20 minutes, it does go a bit almost Hollywood, doesn't it? It just goes fucking full on. And we knew there was a false ending coming, and sure enough, there it was. Um, I think the kids are both pretty believable. I mean, I'm not going to pass Dana in this because she hardly does anything, as we said earlier. But I think Robbie and Carol Ann are both, they do, do look genuinely scared in places. So I'm going to give this one four others, but I think I'm probably scoring it a little bit from the heart because it does have a little place there from watching it all those years ago. But I do think it's a good 80s horror film. Um, it's got some bloody bad practical effects, but as I said, they kind of add to the charm these days, if you can call it charm. And I would recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it, if you do like your 80s horror films, because this one slots right in there. Um, but I'm pretty sure everyone would have seen it already anyway, if you're into that kind of genre. But yeah, four others for me, Bread Roll. Probably a little bit generous, but there we go. Oh, good stuff, JT. I can. It's certainly a film, obviously, the way I scored it and everything, I stand by, but it's a film that I can see. I know why people like it. Like I wasn't watching it thinking, oh, this is like shit or anything. I can certainly see why people do like this film, especially if you watched it back in the day or kind of grew up with it. I can see why it would have a lasting effect. And um, as you said there, great point. You know, it's definitely a movie. I think anyone who's a fan of horror, especially like your kind of early sort of 80s, 90s style horror, um, definitely check this one out if you haven't already because it's certainly worth watching. But yeah, good stuff. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, well, I'll, um, I'll have to tell Kirsty you scored it three, so you might not be happy, but I'll let you know. 
<laughs> it's okay. You live quite far away, so I'll be free of retribution for a while at least. So. <laughs> yeah, you'll be safe for a while. I'll probably get it in the neck instead. <laughs> so that was our review of Poltergeist. Um, let us know your thoughts on the movie. Um, do you like it? Do you not like it? Do you think we scored it um, like justly? Uh, let us know by getting in touch at the Hyperbaric Ghosts on Twitter. And join us next week as we will be reviewing Star Wars Rogue One. And that is to coincide with the release of the Andor Star Wars series. It's uh, starting on Disney Plus on the 21st of September. So we thought we kind of unify it. It's um, the characters from Rogue One. But I think it's set like five years beforehand. We'll have to wait and see because I haven't seen the trailer. Um, but join us next week for that one. And this is Bread Roll signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. Now clear your minds. It knows what scares you. It has from the very beginning. Don't give it any help. It knows too much already. Mm-hmm.